0: Today, it's my pleasure to introduce our very first Australian dyslexic tutor, Jacqueline Kasky. Jacqueline recently completed her PhD in sociology, focusing on dyslexia and learning difficulties, with a particular interest in working with students in higher education and in the workplace. She has a background in teaching and currently tutors young people and adults who have dyslexia on the Sunshine Coast. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jackie.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Shay. It's a real pleasure to um, speak to your um, d- dear dyslexic
0: listeners
1: because I find that um, this is the way to get our message out.
0: So, how did you get involved with working with young people and adults that have dyslexia?
1: Well, Shay, first of all, I was a nurse in hospitals, and that's where I learned to treat each patient with um, with their difficulties. And, of course, as you know, each patient would have been unique, not unlike our students with, and people with dyslexia. And I always had lovely relationships with my patients and I learned to respect and service their individual needs in the wards and as a patient needing support. However, I then went to university and enrolled in a teaching program. And again, here I was helping people with difficulties to learn and find their feet in high schools and later on in TAFE. Um, on completion of my Masters of Education, I worked with adults in vocational education providers in Queensland. Um, And I worked as a disability officer and with people who have a range of disabilities, all requiring reasonable adjustments and the individual support within the educational sectors. I found that as a disability officer, students' needs were not exactly or empirically supported due to the lack of knowledge around the disability and within the teaching profession in Queensland. In the early days, for teachers, there was no inclusion courses and very little known about disability.
0: So, when you talk about reasonable adjustments, what were you, you, what supports were you giving those students at the time?
1: Well, it was interesting because they varied. Some people who had vision impairment used JAWS, which is a technology that all people with vision impairment use. Um, And it was fabulous for students um, who were either blind or vision impaired. Um, then I used Dragon, naturally speaking, another technology um, for people with learning disabilities and dyslexia. But the reasonable adjustments ranged from um, technology right through to um, writing their work out, um, double-spacing different coloured papers. Um, I often sent students to be um, checked for Erlen lenses when they came up with various symptoms. And then I'd often do one-on-one tutoring and assignment writing using various strategies for their individual needs. But the the, uh, strategies were so um, comprehensive. I used mind mapping. I would ask them to plan their chapters in sections. Um, And I wrote um, notes for them and told them to use mapping books for their notes. And, of course, this went on into using... Spreadsheeting to make sure that the topics of their assignments and their their lectures written out, because in those early days there were no lecture notes given. So um, they may have a writer who would go in, or a scribe as we called them, who would go in and write the lecture notes out, and then give them to the student. And they would put them through um, Dragon as an audio file and listen to the lecture. So they're they're only just a few of the reasonable adjustments. You know, they are very extensive and dependent upon the student's needs, of course.
0: It's really exciting that we've got um, people like you out there now, Jackie, because we've On previous shows, we talked about the fact that we haven't really got dyslexic tutors and people supporting people with dyslexia in TAFE and universities. So to have people that can actually talk about reasonable adjustments um, in that space is just amazing. So how did you end up focusing on people with specific learning disabilities? What was your driving factor in focusing your area and your PhD in that? Well, it was
1: interesting. I completed my PhD in dyslexia um, because there was very little known about it in Queensland Um, and we were all getting diagnoses of learning disabilities or learning difficulties and there was a real difference between the three of them uh, because there were learning disabilities in those days Autism was covered under the learning disability before it became a unique disability. Dyslexia was covered under it. Uh, speech-language impairment was covered under it. There were, you know, ADHD uh, was covered under that learning disability. And I found that when we were looking at um, people with specific disabilities, teachers didn't have that understanding of what was what support was related to this disability or that disability because there hadn't been anything written up at that stage. And it, in Queensland, it wasn't until 2010 that a booklet of reasonable adjustments was implemented for teachers teaching in the field. But I don't believe that the teachers, to be honest with you, like teachers everywhere, their workload is so demanding. They didn't have time to be implementing all of these strategies for one particular student when they might have eight to ten of them with different disabilities in their classrooms, particularly within the pace sector. And I think teachers lacked the knowledge because they didn't have time to actually take that knowledge on. And of course, as you know, Shay, we are all searching for, well, we're promoting that a Um, course of professional development be delivered to people uh, to teachers and people working with students who have dyslexia
0: And it's really interesting that you say that there were the three areas where autism was being labelled as one and dyslexia and then your specific speech and language disorders and your ADHD because dyslexia fits into so many different categories and we talk about that a lot on the show with other people around how it's actually diagnosed and the different labels that come out of it and that it's been really hard to get a specific label for dyslexia. Yes, yes, you are right
1: because... um because of the neurological aspect of dyslexia, it affects so many regions of the brain, the frontal lobe, the cerebellum, the cerebellum. You know, now they're looking at the um, hippocampus and saying, well, there's an area in there that is also affecting dyslexia, people with dyslexia, which which brings us back to dyslexia might be a broad term or a syndrome, not unlike um, the autistic spectrum syndrome, dyslexia might be the syndrome, yet we have a number of um, difficulties that arise out of that syndrome because of the neurological relationship to um, to the to the brain and the way the brain works in people who have
0: dyslexia. Well, I very much I talk about that a lot in my doctorate that it, well it is a spectrum in that it affects people differently and that one yes. depending on how you are going during your day it affects you some days is better than others. And yes. it does it, it is a spectrum in that some people have higher functioning literacy skills versus other people, depending on how much intervention and how far you've got through your education system and how your teachers, how much intervention they've been taught, like you were saying around CPD skills and how much um, they've learnt about dyslexia and how they're able to support students in the classroom. Yes, yes.
1: And I think... Primary school teachers um, find it quite challenging because they've got a lot of littlies who've got lots of difficulties and then, you know, they, they're trying to implement various strategies for all of these little children and it is difficult. Um, in, in the United Kingdom, as you know, there's the Red Ro- Rose School um, and that's a school specifically for people who have or children who have dyslexia, and the children can go right through um, in that school and then go to university from there. Um, whereas in Australia, as you know, there's not that um, there's not that um, facility, and I don't think that. Um, we're going to get something that like that uh, soon because it certainly doesn't seem to be on the agenda of most of the, um, well, not only government but even private institutions. They don't recognise dyslexia as we do um, and I think they find it, Quite challenging. They don't know what to do if they have somebody who has dyslexia in the workplace. There, they think, oh, right, this person has reading difficulties. Maybe uh, we can't employ them. But that's certainly not the case, no, as you're well aware.
0: No, I think they don't even know what the word actually means, let alone then how to support or manage that staff member.
1: Yes. yes. So I seem to agree.
0: You were diagnosed with dyslexia yourself, Jackie.
1: Yes, I was. I was diagnosed. It was quite funny. I was struggling in my master's level at the university, and there was so much writing of educational assignments. Whereas with my science degree, it was very practical. Um, you did the methods, the methodology, and you handed in your assignment. Um, it was a very practical science program. Whereas when I went into education I had great difficulty with the organisation of my assignments and the writing of my assignments and when I look back I used to put the beginning of my assignments in the last paragraph (laughs) and the first paragraph and the last paragraph at the beginning. You know I knew what the end was and I was writing it first but after, after having to repeat a subject which was socially focused, I decided I needed to, um, to get assessed. I had been working with a Dr John Worthington here in Queensland uh, in a TAFE sector and he used to come in and assess all of the students who had various disabilities. So I contacted him and um, I asked him would he do a diagnosis on myself. And, of course, at that time, dyslexia was not a recognised disability in Queensland. Um, And he told me I had a phonological impairment and I'd had it from birth. But I seemed to progress through because I went through the old schooling system where it was direct teaching, direct learning and you learnt by the rote system in the early years. So I was diagnosed with dyslexia um, and of course I have difficulties with my writing and I certainly take much longer to read the most and it's quite funny throughout my PhD I I was asked to read books and this that and the other and, and if you know um, a lot about reading I had to buy the books because I had to underline the important words and write in the column so I would know where that section was I couldn't borrow books from the library I had to buy them so it was a very expensive um, degree for me but anyway at the end I got through so basically my diagnosis really saved me because I was struggling and floundering with the writing and once I knew, I then knew I had to put some strategies in place and of course I I do, um, I did buy one particular book that I used for myself and now that um, Sandra has written a book with uh, with um, John Crab. Um, I I utilise that book as well. So you know they're very good books, and I couldn't have been without them to to progress through my PhD.
0: And so, how did you feel when you were diagnosed?
1: Well, I was relieved. I was very relieved because I had been struggling. Um, With my writing, I had been struggling with my, um, not my reading, but more my writing and my ability to succinctly explain myself. So I felt very, very relieved once I had been diagnosed, because then I knew I could get some help.
0: And is there anyone else in your family? Because in my family, we've got three generations do you think there's no. anyone else?
1: No, there's no one else in my family. Mm. So, yes, so it's very interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, because there is a familial link.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and there is, a, as you know, there's a genetic link to dyslexia. Mm. Um, that they have found a number of genetic uh, um, genetic areas that are linked to um, reading and writing and, and whatever in families, So it goes down to other generations, but no, not with me.
0: Interesting. And so your PhD yeah. has been all focused on um, young people and adults in TAFE and university?
1: No, mine is only uh, focused on TAFE um, because it was quite difficult to get um, access to students at the university. A lot didn't want to disclose. Um, A lot go through university and never tell anyone and have support on the side and pay for it. Um, But I had worked previously in TAFE So I knew a lot of the disability officers and I knew some of the managers. So I was certainly able to access my participants, but I couldn't access them because of privacy. My um, The disability officer in each of the five campuses where I interviewed students, they had to access the participants for me. Because of the privacy issues and the legislation around uh, disability, with giving out people's names and so on and
0: so forth. So, and so what? We- <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. What um, supports and strategies did you put in place? You mentioned um, Sandra Hardgraves and Jamie Crabb's study skills for students with specific learning difficulties uh, textbook which we've spoken about on other podcasts before and their books on our website and it is an amazing resource for students um, at TAFE and University. Were there other things you put in place that helped you get through?
1: Well I used another textbook which is now out of It's called Dyslexia and Learning Style by Tilly Mortimer. And, of course, it came out uh, just a couple of years before I started my research role, and I had bought it um, because that was out when I was working in TAFE. So I used to look at the strategies used by Mortimer and I'd implement them for the students or I'd tell the teachers this is what you should be doing or, you know, so on. So, so basically that's, um, I use that. But my, my main strategies were I, doing qualitative research, I did it all manually. I didn't use any technology because I'm not t- technology savvy except for the use of Dragon, which I use continually. Um, I used mind mapping. I planned my chapters, so I'd put sections in there to make it look clear and concise. I wrote notes in mapping books. I, all the transcripts that came back to me um that were professionally transcribed, you know, my audio tapes were prof- professionally transcribed, they were all um, put into mapping books under under the themes.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a good idea, so, professionally transcribing rather than hand-doing it yourself.
1: Yes. And um, I cut up all the quotes that all the fitted under each and every one of the, my themes and that's how that's how I did my codes and I have about eight huge big mapping books hmm. full of codes. <laughs> but anyway, then I wrote all of my literature, so each piece of literature I read, I did a little synopsis of it so that I could go back to it and specific things I could go into and I knew where to go and what to look for, For even the thesis I did that for. And I'd do it for each chapter. Then I used Google terms and reviewed Wikipedia before searching through the databases for appropriate journals. When you're doing your PhD, you often find that. Terms that you don't understand. So what I did, I looked at those terms on Wikipedia, got the basis of it, and then went to the journal article for further explanation. And I found that very helpful. And a lot of people don't use it, but I use it for the basic, the grounded knowledge, just the basic knowledge. And then I go and find out relevant journals. Um, as I said, I purchased many textbooks that were related to both the historical and recent um, advancement of dyslexia, and I'd write I'd write notes on the sides of all of my textbooks. I spoke with academics and other PhD students studying um, similar topics. I one thing, I had a great rapport with a number of academics. Um, I had made a friend with doctor, Robin LeBrock, who was a sociologist at UQ in the med- medical faculty. And she, Mark, Mark Teo, Cass Tanner, all helped me. And they didn't help me with any writing or whatever, But now and then they'd send me a paper and say, how about reading that? That might be, that might add to your literature or what about this or, you know, and um, I use Cass Tanner's um, PhD right throughout my thesis because she was one of the first in Australia to study dyslexia. Hmm. Um, the next thing I did was I wrote chapters and then I cut them out and glued them in place in mapping books, as I had said, so that it was well organised. I didn't have sections going hither, tither. Um, the most important things to me throughout my PhD were the was the glue, the large mapping books, coloured pens, computer notes, and literature notes, and my friends. And the specific technology was Dragon naturally speaking. Um, However, I only use this when I'm writing papers now. I don't need it for quick emails or anything, but um, I found that the monotone of it, Became so automated, I didn't like using it as a reading tool. I just take my time now because I have got time. (laughs) um, I take my time reading it and underlining and taking notes before I've got to read any journals, which is quite regularly. But yeah,
0: so. There is one piece of technology though that you did recommend to me, which is Grammarly, which I've been using now, which has been fantastic.
1: Grammarly is excellent. Mm. Um, Grammarly, I got onto when I was reading my um, writing my last piece of thesis, um, and it just just helped me with my grammar so much. And of course, we in Australia use the English version version of Grammarly, not the American version. So in Queensland, we all use the English version of Grammarly. So sometimes you have to override it, even though you set it for British. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes have to override it because there's, you know, particularly when it says organised, we go I-S-E-D, whereas they go i-z-e-d. But no,
0: likes to hyphenate everything easy. as well. I've noticed.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. You know, it's a great, it's a great, um, it's a great tool, and, and I use it all the
0: time. And I an amazing, that. an amazing achievement, yeah. Jackie, to have completed your PhD. And for all our listeners out there that are wanting to complete their PhD, some amazing strategies that helped Jackie, and a lot of tips for me as I. Try to struggle through <laughs> doing my doctorate at the moment. So, thank you, Jackie. But we've also talked a lot about all the advocacy work that you're doing up in Queensland. Um, like all states across Australia, there's um, a shift yeah. that's starting to occur across the country in trying to um, address what's happening to people with dyslexia, not just in schools, but at each level across education and in the workplace. movement is occurring and we are trying to make change. So you've been advocating and you're trying to make changes up there. So what are some of the steps you're trying to put in place so that you can see some change happening up there and what would you like to see happen?
1: Well, I would like to see... Well, put it this way, in Australia we have this... um, you know, perception that we like things to be funded. Like um, when students come to me or mothers ring up or uh, families ring up about their children, they say to me, oh, um, is this a Medibank-funded um, system? And I said, well, no. I said, unfortunately... In Australia, there is no educational support that is funded. And to this day, I have tried through Members of Parliament, the Health Minister, to get some form of funding for people with communication difficulties like dyslexia, you know, speech and language, um, a range of communication difficulties. Uh, and I said to them, you know, this isn't good enough because there's a lot of people who can't get work who definitely cannot read and write and they're the ones who haven't got the money to put in place to come to me. Uh, even though my, my um, services are very cheap compared to others in Australia, even still, um, you know, they, my clients, other people unvoiced and without money. Mm. So I am trying, I've tried every which way to get some funding to help my clients, but at this stage, nothing is happening. However, I always look back at a friend of mine who, who uh, I've mentioned in the program. She started out Dr. Robin LeBrock started out as a tutor and then she wasn't a tutor. She was a mentor and advocate. And through her friendship and the relationship we had, I completed my PhD. And she would, every turn, she would give me advice on what to do as well as tutoring me. So I find that tutoring comes in many forms. I have to charge um, to keep my business open, as you could agree, Shay. Mm-hmm. But I believe I always give extra time. So it says, like, it says, oh, um, $60 an hour. But they can have three hours of tutoring if they book at $50. They can have that for $50 an hour if they book three hours. And then, I always give them a little bit more time. Like today, I was with a girl half an hour more. Well, that's in the hour. You know, I include that. I'm not mean with the support I provide. And I always try and give them a little bit more because I often look back at Robin and how she helped me. And it wasn't just the tutoring. It was... Um, She'd give me specific feedback and she'd ask questions when I went into the, um, you know, if you go and do the review section in your uh, Word document, like track changes and things, she'd put things in the, the column and say, have you read that? Or where did you read it? I might not have put a reference in. Or... It might have been a bit out of date. So she asked questions like that. It wasn't just she gave me the answer. Mm. She supported my learning and through that she was the advocate and, and um, you know, we're still friends today, which, which is lovely. So, mm. you know, I think it's a case of the relationships that have built up through tutoring and advocacy are those that can be lifelong and that's what I'm trying to do with my clients not just to come to tutoring for money's sake but to come form a relationship. I've offered one particular client that I would go out um, to the interview with her. Now that's You know, I don't have to do that, but that's what I call advocacy, to give her a bit of support in her interview um, and make sure she's feeling confident before she goes out. And I don't charge for that. I charge for it, Um, but I see that as part of my role as a, a tutor.
0: That's amazing. Because it is really hard because, I mean, technically a child won't get any funding unless there are two standard deviations. Well, it used to be unless it's changed, but when I was a speech, it was two standard deviations from the norm. It might be one now, I can't remember, but, um, you know, so a child can't get any funding. And if you're dyslexic, you need continuous intervention to help you get your literacy skills up to the standard of a child that's, you know, their grade. We're normally two academic year levels behind, but that's not enough Just qualify for any type of funding so you're always going to be behind and a parent can't afford to consistently be paying money for a speech pathologist or a literacy tutor to keep them at the level they need to be at so they're always going to be behind in their academic level and so it's extremely unfortunate and you know they're always going to be at a disadvantage and so how do you ever get people to be on an even playing field or children that then become adults to be on an even playing field with the norm as such. Mm -hmm. So it's extremely frustrating.
1: Well, actually, that's what I found in my research, um, Shay, and I had adults who had gone to TAFE for the first time and they were 34, 35, you know, 40 um, because they... Couldn't write well or had literacy problems, and they'd been to literacy classes, and they, you know, those classes hadn't benefited these students. So they enrolled in TAFE, and they've done different things like Certificate One, um, and then Certificate Two and Certificate Three, and would progress up the ladder. And now some of them were completing their diplomas but it was a case of um, learning at a slower space, pace and the teachers gave them additional time and they helped them throughout the, the grammar at Certificate 1 and Certificate 2 and these were adults who mm. never ever gained a qualification, let alone a high school completion. So, you know, they were doing particularly well, I thought, and we don't want that to, to continually happen in Australia, not when we see Britain leaps and bounds ahead of us in, um, in supporting people with dyslexia. We need to be on that pathway and get to that um, pathway so we can actually support our students at school and people in tertiary
0: environments. That's right. Well, Jackie, if there's some advice that you could give young people and adults out there that might be listening to this podcast, what are some take-home messages that you'd like them to hear considering all the amazing achievements that you have achieved over the last few years, particularly now finishing your PhD?
1: Well so it's interesting, but I, I think the most important thing when you go into a tertiary environment is to disclose your disability and ask for support and ask for appropriate support. And if that support isn't provided, because you, a learner, will know exactly what you need to help you and that might change... As you progress in learning, so don't be frightened to go back to the disability officer um, and say, "I need this for my disability, and my needs have changed because they do change. The higher you go in the course advancement, the specific, the more needs you may require." Um, the more support you will require. So, always disclose and go back to your disability officer. But if nobody listens to you at your TAFE or university, um, go further. Go to the manager because unless you get, rel- you know, appropriate support for your disability needs you're either going to fail, like many of my participants told me, in schools they failed because nobody listened to them and nobody gave them the support. So if you have a manager of equity, go to them, be persistent with your learning and do not give up... um, You will gain your qualification if you are persistent. And if you use some of those strategies that I've spoken about today, they will certainly help you. They might seem time-consuming, which they are, but they do work if you use them all the time for every subject that you're doing. I always say persistence is what got me there, um, but I also recommend some outside tutoring for dyslexia. So don't um, don't go to just a tutor if you're having challenges. Um, go to a tutor who has who has. Experience with people who have dyslexia because you will find that it is probably the reading and writing strategies and the the structures that are not in place are the things that you need. Um, And if you go to a dyslexia tutor, they will be able to put those strategies in place
0: and so where would someone find one, Jackie? Because we haven't had many on the show and we haven't have had um, many places to go to recommend on the show where people could go and source a dyslexic tutor. So is it mainly through the spelled associations that someone would go?
1: Yes, I would go to spelled initially. And then if you don't go to spelled, um, often you can... There are people like me who have online tutoring, but um, I would pre- because I don't know the legislation around there, and I'm very familiar with what's happening in Queensland. I would really try and get onto spells. Their their, tu- their specialized tutors are a little more expensive than I am, but they're worth their weight in gold. Um, and I think you'll find that they will really give you some clear strategies to put in place for your learning. If not, you can call me online. As you know, Shay has my number, uh, my email address and my website. Um, but. If you you can't get something down there, I'm more more than happy to tutor you online and um, I think Shay's got something in place for that, haven't Shay? But anyway, we'll talk about... Shay and I will talk about that after. I'm more than happy to do something for you.
0: Have you put any of your strategies into fact sheets or anything, Jackie, that we could put online that's come out of your PhD?
1: No, I don't. Now... The reason I don't is because um, I I haven't got I haven't got around to it yet. Okay. I, <laughs> I'm hoping to put out a small book um, in the next few months, and I'm going to ask people like um, Sandra to help, um, and I might and I might even ask you to do some work with me on this book and we'll put out a small textbook for students particularly um, so they can resource it here in Australia. Um, it's, it's, it's small, it's not too wordy and it'll be able to be um, sold at universities for people with learning difficulties and dyslexia.
0: Well, for our, all of our listeners out there, we are looking at developing some resources. There are some resources already on the Dear Dyslexic website um, for tips for students at TAFE and University. We just launched that this year, but also for lecturers um, and... Um, at TAFE and university as well there's tips for them on how to support students particularly through exam time and uh, with assignments and different things like that so there are tip sheets and fact sheets on the website plus um, some resources and textbooks as well and then we can also um, look at what Jackie's thinking about to help her developing some stuff and we're also looking at developing some training courses with Jackie and Sandra we've got a working group at the moment together to look at how we can better support um, people at Tafen University so they can help us dyslexics that are studying out there is there anything else you'd like to say Jackie before we wrap up our conversation today no so thank you for having me you're more than welcome If you'd like to hear more about all the great work Jackie's doing on the Sunshine Coast, you can go to the Dear Dyslexic website at deardyslexic.com. Also, if you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with all the work that we are doing at the Foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there's anything you've heard today that you've found distressing, you can contact Beyond Blue 1-30-224636. 1-30-224636. Or Lifeline 13 14 Thanks for listening, and until next time, bye for now.